Maximum Health with your host, Dr. Ken Gray. Dr. Gray obtained his master's in both acupuncture and oriental medicine from the Atlantic Institute of Oriental Medicine. Dr. Gray enjoys both being a physician as well as being an educator. His unique approach to holistic healing has taken him abroad to lecture in Germany and treat sports professionals in Hawaii and France. He is co-author of several books on food therapy. His office is in Jupiter, Florida, where he has practiced for over a decade and where he resides. Now it's time for Maximum Health with Dr. Ken Gray. With inverted tongue From whence does fulfillment come And I expel From this mortal shell Welcome back everyone, this is Maximum Health Quality Living uh, Radio Show and Podcast Thank you for joining us And uh, again, thank you Dr. Niven Narain, CEO of Berg, for joining us again. Um, I've had you on a few times, and I had to have you back again when I found out all the great work that you're doing uh, concerning COVID-19, the virus uh, pandemic that we're dealing with. I appreciate your time so much. Well, Dr. Gray, thank you. It's so great to be on again. Uh, it's, uh, I, you know, I think you're absolutely right. This is a, uh, It's obviously a very uh, extraordinary time for the world, and I, you know, I, I'm really thankful you know, for the opportunity to have me back on. I appreciate yes. it. Now, for those uh, that may have missed our past shows, which are obviously available via podcast, but I will just say that Berg is a clinical stage, uh, artificial intelligence, AI, uh, powered biotechnology company taking a bull back to biology approach to healthcare. Um, so you're working across all uh, of the medical landscape in terms of where your work can apply to. And this condition that we're dealing with now, one of the things that really appealed to me and, and that I'm so excited to talk about is the precision medicine focus that um, we have not heard about. We've just heard this blanket approach to many different agencies across the world working towards some sort of vaccine, some sort of uh, drug. And, you know, I don't want to have this mundane attitude about it, but my my concern is that we all know that there's millions, if not billions, of viruses out there, um, right. and and they're constantly mutating. And as part of our ecosystem, and as part of our human condition, and the condition of all living beings, so the idea that there's going to ever be this one magic bullet for anything does not make sense to me, and nor should it make sense to anyone. However. What does make sense to me is this initiative that you're at the forefront of on a global level as a CEO of Berg that is continuing to push the idea that we can be precise. We can look at the metabolics. We can look at the condition of each human being and cater to their particular needs on a um, uh, medical level, on a health level, on a wellness level. That appeals to me. That makes sense, and I would just like to hear more about your yeah. um, your journey in this regard. Yeah, so I think you've hit that spot on because uh, you know, to your point, viruses are abound. There are millions of viruses that we're all exposed to on on even a, an annual basis, and obviously, uh, you know, Doctor Gray, we respond to them differently based on our immune systems. Uh, you know how how we're made up, or genetics, et cetera, or diet. You know what we're going through at that at that, at that given time, but also even our ethnicities. And I think what we're seeing, uh, you know, as this uh, you know live as this show is being uh, um, you know, recorded, is that we we are seeing a 
a disproportionate outcome from from those who have have COVID. You know, obviously, we're seeing that it, the the uh, the disease of COVID nineteen seems to be a lot more severe in the in the African American population and those who are uh, older, but also in those who may have an, uh, um, pre-existing conditions uh, uh, such as diabetes, hypertension, uh, um, et cetera. So these conditions, you know, obviously make it for, uh, um, you know, for observing that the, the, the outcomes of, of the data is suggesting that these individuals who have pre-existing conditions or African-Americans disproportionately uh, have a higher rates of, uh, of having to be um, uh, intubated. And unfortunately, they also have, uh, uh, you know, higher death rates. And we're seeing that in some of the data in the U.S. We're seeing that in Europe. So this is all emerging, and, and the and what Berg has done is really um, by employing a precision medicine and an artificial intelligence approach is is looking at at, at these data sets, but both from a, a biological perspective, but also from an outcome. And the goals here are really to try to figure out the areas in the in the biology that are segmented and differentiate those who have uh, a better outcome or not. And of course, in those who may not have a, a, um, a great outcome, it's important for us to study what happened. So obviously, we could come up with uh, uh, interventions uh, for those individuals um, who who may still get this. And in, in some of the early work uh, that are, is coming out of our models, but also what we're seeing in in, in many publications, also just just rapidly coming out in the past week or two, is the the virus itself, so the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus actually binds to an enzyme receptor in the body called ACE2. And ACE2 um, is, uh, is in large part responsible for, for helping to monitor and, and calibrate our, our blood pressure. So for individuals who are, uh, you know, the, the argument of the day for individuals who are on ACE, uh, ACE inhibitors, which is a... A very popular form of, of blood pressure medication, and I'm sure there, there are tons of listeners who are on ACE inhibitors. Um, you, you know, some data is suggesting that it may be uh, positive to stay on those uh, inhibitors. I think the, the the official word for for many healthcare societies and organizations is that you remain on them. But also, the emerging data is um, historically there's been some assertions that maybe African-Americans should be given an alternative to ACE inhibitors. And some data that's coming out of Italy, but also from the, especially from the UK, is showing that for those of African descent who have been on ACE inhibitors, they, they have a better outcome. So now community is in a, um, you know, to your point on precision medicine, which is, you know, by definition, in giving the right drug or therapy, to the, to the right patient at the right dose at the right time, this conversation around uh, COVID-19, and this is ju- this is just one example around ACE inhibitors, around ACE2. How do we how do we navigate our way around it? How do we you know really take the the data that's all emerging so that we can make a better public health decision? And uh, you know we see tremendous amounts of collaboration. We see tremendous amounts of uh, uh, interaction. Um, you know, going uh, across the world, we've been in contact with many groups around the world, and that's just one single example. But 
if we can just be able to keep folks off the ventilators and save their lives, obviously the impact is, is, is immediate. So through our models that are being built by AI, um, you know, our hope is that we can, we can come up with, with many more examples that help in clinical decision support, help to identify drugs that may be repurposed so, so that we can use them against uh, COVID-19. And then as the data is emerging in certain geographies and certain zip codes and across the world, be able to encumber that data and crunch that data in a way to help us, to, to help us understand um, how we manage different age groups, how we manage different ethnicities, and, uh, and how we manage different individuals who have uh, certain conditions like diabetes or, or hypertension or, or heart disease. So I want to get back to specifics of, of how this looks and everything, but you know, the elephant in the room for some people and, and something we still need to become more comfortable with that we need to, some people just need to become aware of, um, is the idea of AI and what it actually is and how it translates to all of this. Because even down to recently, you were in a, in a tremendous article in, uh, with Forbes, um, and it discussed transforming drug discovery through artificial intelligence. So obviously, you know, Forbes is interested, the readers of Forbes, we're all interested in how artificial intelligence can help us. Can you break it down a little bit for us and make it a little bit more palatable? Yeah, no, absolutely. So artificial intelligence is really, you know, by definition, the use of a uh, uh, independent algorithms that, uh, in our case, with the, the type of AI that Berg uses, is, a, is a, there are two types of AI. One is, is neural, which which neural models is is, uh, is built on machine learning. So you're looking at existing data, prior data, and you're trying to find trends and correlations within that data to help you come up with a better hypothesis. The other approach, and this is the approach that Burke refers to, is, is, is really what we're looking at is for causality and interactions and non-obvious uh, uh, connections within different types of data sets to help us uh, um, come up with uh, um, a very high-quality hypothesis that is going to increase the likelihood of success by, um, by leading, in, in the case of, of developing drugs, you know, leading to uh, um, a process that's more predictable and, and, and precise. So that's, you know, by definition, we're, we're feeding into this AI system data from patients on their, on, on their genetics, on, you, you know, using something called omics, you know, processing to look at their metabolites and proteins, um, real-world data, you know, real-world evidence in, in sleeping patterns and diets, et cetera, but also their clinical data. And where, uh, you know, it's not humanly possible to process this, all of, of these data sets, obviously. And what we don't well, want to do so, is just, uh, sorry? So, so if, say, for instance, one equate, just to give us some perspective, if you had one human being and you wanted to process a data set that would give you the equation of whether or not a particular drug would work for cancer or so forth and so on, or even COVID-19, what would be the time equivalent of a human being working on that? With the strongest computer versus AI working on it, have you have do you have any idea or estimate? Yeah, I mean, I, I it, well, first, I, I, yeah, I think the answer is it's, it, it's innumerable because for 
for us to just even use, you know, types of analytical methodologies like the simple Excel sheet, you know, you know, most folks use Excel. Mm-hmm. The comparison with, with using an Excel to process this data would take you probably on just the data sets from one single patient and all the, uh, the types of, of data around that patient, probably, um, you know, six to eight months maybe. Wow. With, it, with AI, it's a few hours to a day. So, so, it's, it's so the, and that for a lot of patients can be life or death. Six to eight months can be Perfectly. life or death versus a week of, of, you know, to get this information and then apply it accordingly, choose the appropriate drug and then put them on the regimen that's, you know, helpful. So that that is huge. That that makes sense to me. That's exactly right. Because the big thing here, uh, you know, to your point, is, is time and cost. I mean, we can't. Uh, it, there are many patients out there who, uh, you, you know, they don't have the luxury. If you're an end-stage NP- cancer patient, have you know, you have pancreatic cancer or brain cancer, you really don't have years to wait right. on, on on technologies. Or right. if you have, you know, you know, COVID nineteen in yeah. a real-time uh, setting, you know, one of the, the the real race here is to try to understand what's going on from all the all the data sets and the outcome data, so we can. And continuously feed the AI system, so mm-hmm. we're coming up in real-time uh, um, methodologies and real-time settings to say, hey, well, well, maybe these sets of drugs or this class of drugs right. can work against these patients with COVID, or maybe for African Americans, you know, put them on ACE inhibitors right. uh, as early as you can to prevent them from getting so. So not and everyone course, has to be uh, in the group set where the malaria drug would be that we've heard so much about would be the choice yeah. like you said for some people it could be the ace and however you're able to process that data and get that answer within a few hours or a day or so forth versus you know the the six to eight months that it seems that it's taking <laughs> some of these scientists while people are dying within eight days of uh contracting this virus now, those yeah. people, obviously, yeah. that are more uh, susceptible to the damage uh, rep- on a respiratory level, like we said, who those people are, the diabetics, the maybe COPD, smokers, uh, you know, uh, emphysema patients, those sort of people, obviously, are going to have a harder time coming through to the right. other end. Right. 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 Right, and it does, it, and it does really take a community, you know, Dr. Gray, because I don't, I don't want to, um, you know, there, the 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 other methodologies that may take six to eight months. Sometimes there's a good reason for that. You have yeah. to collect, you know, samples. You have to, you know, you have to do, you know, long-term uh, clinical trials. The 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 data sets have to I- emerge, uh, um, and but if we have the opportunity, uh, in some cases like we do in cancer, we have with emerging uh, diseases, um, you know, in in, in virology like. Like COVID nineteen, that's the data is coming out so quickly. You know, folks are collaborating in a way that I don't think. And, and I, I think one, if you can even find a silver lining in this, I, I would say that the way I'm seeing folks communicate and collaborate in the world and breaking walls down. You know, whether it's government, industry, uh, uh, universities. I mean, we've been able to access pretty much any group in the world at the highest levels almost immediately because i think everybody feels that there's a moral responsibility uh, just as, as you know being human uh i think by now everybody has had a family member or a friend who's been affected by by covid 19. hopefully 
you know, not all of us have had individuals who who, who died. But it is uh, the one thing I would say, the more we look at this, the more we get into this, I think there is an element of humility that has to be held true because the truth is we still are at the infancy stages of understanding the virus itself, the biology itself. So that's the foundational element in trying to come up with the right type of vaccine. That's the foundational element in trying to decipher which drugs we can potentially repurpose against uh, COVID-19. And then certainly it's the foundation of, 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 of discriminating and dissecting out how we treat different types of patients, as you said, who may have pre-existing conditions, you know, from, from different ethnicities, different age groups. Um, you know, luckily we're seeing that uh, at least, you know, thus far in the data, um, children and individuals who are really below 25 are significantly less affected, and if they are, the severity is, is, is um, you know, extremely mild, it's, 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 you know, compared to those in older age groups. But I think, um, you know, to our earlier conversation, AI really helps us in these times where uh, we, you know, there is a time crunch, there is an, an emergent need, you know, time is everything, it helps us to, to gather that data and come up with, uh, um, uh, you know, data-driven hypotheses. Mm-hmm. That help, you know, help may help physicians make you know better cl- uh, clinical decision support. Obviously, the two uh, huge goals here are trying to find a drug or different types of drugs that may work against uh, against this virus, and uh, um, you know, uh, and the vaccine itself. So, you know, you, you know, obviously that's going to be uh, a great day when we have a successful vaccine. Yes, that's a now help prevent this as much as possible my my thought and you know with a little bit of time we have left because it always goes so fast when i speak with you because there's so much knowledge to absorb and i hope our listeners are getting some of this and and getting the important bits that you know number one give them hope and number two um will help them continue to ask the right questions now one of the questions that i have is why this particular virus why is it this particular virus that's causing the breaking down of walls, the, like you said, the um, moral conscience collectively to come together, you know, of different companies or different organizations or different governments, government agencies? Why this virus? Because still to date, it is not killing as many people as influenza is, you know, yearly. It is not killing as many people as uh, most hospital-born infections are still killing people yearly. I mean, the diseases and the issues and the things that far outweigh this particular virus goes on and on. And I watched uh, last night, you know, uh, which uh, one uh, speaker, Bill Mayer, kind of brought attention to the media's place in all of this, the global media, as whether or not that's the reason why we're paying so much attention to this particular virus rather than its actual effect on the human condition, right, health-wise, and and, and our mortality. So, yes, there are bad points. Yes, we don't want to lose loved ones, friends, community members, so forth and so on. However, this particular virus 
you know, is causing, like you said, people to come together in ways they have not. New paradigms and new ways of thinking of technology and using, you know, uh, things, uh, our tools, so to speak, um, yeah. to, to combat it. So why why would you say this one is the scary one versus even H1N1? I mean, in its first year, globally, yeah, yeah. 500,000 people, and your mid, not even your elderly, it was like your, you know, 40-year-olds, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. 30-year-olds, you know, fathers, mothers, you know, young people, so. Yeah, I have, I have to say, Ken, so that's a, that's a um, very, very insightful and amazing question, I think. In all the years I've known you, that's probably the toughest question you've ever asked me. And I have to say, I would hearken back to the human condition in answering that question, because as much as we can talk about science and we can talk about you know great medicine and innovation, et cetera, we also have to recognize that there's, you know, we we have to be humble in realizing that there's, there's just a lot of stuff that we don't know, and that's why we have to try to use the technologies like we talk about, like AI, to help to guide us there. But I do think. The trends and that, the, from a globalization perspective, there is obviously compared to when SARS came out originally or H1N1 or other types of viruses, social media is, has been abound and it's been explosive. In, in most geographies around the world, um, across, that span socioeconomic, uh, um, uh, you know, ranges, almost everyone has access to some type of, of communication, you know, whether that be a mobile phone, even if it's it's 2G or 3G uh, internet, there's there's more Wi-Fi, there's more access through globalization and technology that allows us to be sensitized to what's happened compared to 10 years ago. I also think that this, this started in China and, uh, um, you know, different geographies around the world where we see that there's a transnational component to this this virus making its way from China into the United States, into Europe. You know, we saw what happened in Italy and in Spain. And there's there's a sensitization of how quickly this all happened, um, how many different countries this affected, and how many different continents. I think that when our lives, um, our our daily lives, things that we took for granted, somehow got disrupted in a way that we didn't see before. We couldn't get on airplanes in, in uh, the same way that we did before. We, we couldn't go to the grocery store in, 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 in the same way. Schools were starting to, to, to close. So our daily routine of either just getting up or dropping the kids to school or having to rush to the airport to, to grab a flight to go to a meeting, that all gets so disrupted that I think the sensitization and the, the psychology around how our daily lives got disrupted across the world made us communicate in different ways. And I think a part of that to the media's importance in, in getting the news out and helping us to stay sensitized is important. But a part of that was also on us as individuals and as a group community um, with respect to social networking, et cetera. So I think we are living in a hypersensitive world. And I think that has a large hard to play on how, how quickly and how emergent this all became abound. Mm. But we also saw we also saw big governments and big institutions like like, like the WHO uh, get involved a lot earlier. We saw the CDC um, as usual. They're an amazing organization, and the CDC I think has done a fantastic job of mm. um, of, of, uh, of of maintaining the 
right type of information to 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 keep us to keep everything very transparent and, and honest. And then you have, I think, one of the superstars that have emerged, and, and Dr. Fauci. I mean, he's a household name. He's uh, is someone I think that everyone has looked for. So, you know, when you put together the fact of uh, everything I have said from how quickly we communicate, how global communication has abound, institutional involvement with this at the government level, at the social level, at the, at, at the, at the local level of schools and churches, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just, we live in a very, very hypersensitive world, and there's there are things about that that are amazing. Yeah, because we can re- we can respond to things very quickly, but there are things about that that also also make us realize when um, our lives are a bit different now. Uh, it, it 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 should it should at least you know make us think about what's really important, right. like like family. You know, spending the time with family and loved ones, and you know, respecting and appreciating our colleagues and collaborators. Uh, so much more and also just thinking about you know being better human beings the, the health of the earth if you will yes it really does that does 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 challenge us in these times to think about how can we be better how can we do more Absolutely. how can we serve better yes. and how Agreed. can we how literally you know you know can we make this uh, uh, better because the post-covid world it, i i predict is going to be a much different world i think yeah. we're going to be also more sensitive about these things and um I think the way we lived in February of twenty, uh, I, I, I just, I just think things are going to be significantly yeah. different, and hopefully in, in a very positive way. I hope so too. I hope we will, you know, like we said, all of nature does its job. We're the only ones that think we don't have to. <laughs> so hopefully we'll begin to do our job as stewards, because that's our primary yeah. job. That's why we're here. Uh, live in harmony with the earth and and hopefully as we respect it it will respect us Um, you know but in one of the things I wanted to sort of encompass what you said is you know those who live in glass houses should not throw stones and I think we didn't realize that we live in a glass house you know we were automatically throwing stones over there oh look at what they've got to deal with they're you know dealing with this virus and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it's everywhere and we realize you know we all live in glass houses we're all vulnerable we're all fragile we're all one and yet we're all individual and the individuality the work that you're doing to tend to this individual uh, nature of the human being um, as uh, uh, Dr. Niven Arrain CEO of Berg Biotech um, you know just combining nature and biology thank you for all your hard work thank you for your time today and uh, and and it's exciting to know that um, the post-COVID world will have new technologies that can help us combat, you know, and be more aware of our own individual natures and, um, you know, fragileness, and hopefully take yeah. better care of each oh. other and the earth. Oh, exactly. Yes. Exactly. Well, well, thank you again for having me yes. on. And, uh, you know, it's always it's always a great conversation. All right. Uh, thank you. Yes, this has been another uh, great maximum health quality living. Uh, any portion of the show, if you've missed it, it's on podcast, Apple, uh, Android, all of it. Just please uh, stay tuned for more and uh, keep us on your list of things to listen to and uh, share with your friends and family. Till next. Why don't you just let go and quiet down your ego? Don't complain about finance. I know your daddy weren't a real man. Go ahead and live your dreams. To me, you're stronger than a whole team. I know you can't relax, and you don't want me to know that. I see you work real hard. You wanna help your
Jesus, but trust me, they're right.